As New Zealand comes out the end of COVID-related lockdowns and other restrictions, some have been uh, coining this uh, term and, and, and this era as a, as a turnover tsunami. And look, job listings are up almost 40% compared to what they were uh, towards the start of 2019 when the pandemic hit. Now, this booming job market is, uh, is great for employees, particularly those looking for change. But equally, it's got some employers uh, quaking in their boots. Uh, you see, in a time like this, if, if companies want to attract and retain talent, uh, many are going to have to work for it. So this begs the question, what can employers do to attract and retain talent in today's day and age? Well, the answer for many lies in workplace policies. So in this podcast, we're going to be discussing a number of more progressive policies and uh, having a think about why uh, some employers should, should be starting to think about using these policies and uh, in light of this uh, turnover tsunami, why it might be a good idea. So I'm joined today by uh, Fiona McMillan. Uh, Fiona, um, hi, how's things? Hi, I'm good, Jack. How are you? <laughs> That's good. So Fiona is a partner uh, leading our employment team uh, here at Lane Neve. And uh, as Fiona said, my name's Jack and I'm a solicitor in the employment team. So Fee, off the bat, why are workplace policies good for business? Yeah, I, I think there are probably two, two main reasons, Jack. Right. I think... Um, I think historically they've been used as a bit of a tool to to attract staff. Um, right. And Jack, we I, I guess we touched on that a little bit when we um, recorded our pre-employment podcast a little bit earlier on. Yeah, but certainly. I think I think probably one of the the main reasons right now. Uh, is to try and retain the staff that that people have people have got. So mm. um, that's probably the the main reason. And I think more and more employers are actually just going, "Hey, some of this stuff is actually just really good to do. We just want to be be seen to be implementing these types of things." Yeah, certainly. No, that makes sense. So in light of this, I guess, V, I thought it'd be cool to have a bit of a chat. Um, about a, a short list of uh, progressive workplace policies that I've got here and have a bit of a think about, um, number one, why employers uh, are um, implementing these policies, but number two, why, um, why, they're, good, why they're good for business and, and how, how employers might be able to do so uh, best. So the first uh, policy that I thought would be great to discuss is an employee share scheme. So this um, employee share schemes are basically an arrangement where shares in the company are given or sold to employees at a discounted price. Now, Fee, we've seen a number of employee share schemes uh, kind of start to um, take a bit more traction in the last couple of years. An example is Contact Energy um, launched this big employee share scheme that allows staff to acquire $1,000 worth of shares a year. And uh, Port of Tauranga followed suit. They've got a similar scheme where it comes out of employees' um, wages, so it's deducted from their wages um, with consent. And this has seen 95% um, of the employees actually become shareholders in their employers. So in light of this, of this traction fee, from your, from your view, why do you think that um, employee share schemes are so popular? Yeah, and it, it's interesting, I think, Jack, that you give those examples because mm. I think um, historically, I think people have thought employee share schemes are just for kind of new startup employers, so mm. new employers who perhaps can't 
pay market rates to their staff um, because they're new and they're starting up, but they, they want to give employees something extra for being a part of um, their journey from the outset. So I think that's a... I think that's historically where employee share schemes have come in, but we are starting mm. to see more and more quite established organisations implement employee share schemes. And there, there are a few good reasons why you might look to, to, to have them. Um, there's some quite clear evidence that it, that it creates a, a higher level of employee commitment. People really feel like they are a, a part of the company. Certainly. Um, I think it can also at times um, increase retention as well because people right. want to to wait until their shares are at a certain level before they um, depart. Um, mm. And sometimes it can be a little bit more cost effective for, for employers uh, if they don't have the cash sitting there to give bonuses. Or as I said in the in the startup example, where they uh, mm. the company's not in a position to, to pay people market rates. Yeah, no, certainly that makes sense. And and as you've said about um, kind of it's a little bit of a change with these more progressive um, employee share schemes. It's kind of no longer the no no longer are the days where it's just the C-suite, you know, these top executives getting the chance mm. to buy into the companies. It's everyone from from top to bottom and left to right. Um, and I guess you've seen that with the likes of. Port of, Port of Tauranga's scheme and the and the uptake there. 100%. So, look in terms of um, in terms of these benefits on, on the on the flip side, what what should employers look out for, or what considerations are there um, for employers looking to implement a scheme like this? Yeah, and look, I guess where the employment team comes in here at Lane we we traditionally work um, with our corporate team on on these schemes to to make Certainly. sure that they're right from an employment law perspective and a corporate perspective. Mm. Um, I guess some some downsides, some things for employers to consider is sometimes there can be quite large um, setup costs with employee share schemes and right. and the ongoing administration of them. So mm. I think you need to be aware of those costs before before launching into it. Um, Certainly. There are tax implications as well that um, Jack and I can tell you many things, but tax implications is not one of them. Um, Certainly, I'm here on so, that. So often, I pay when, my own taxes, and that's as far as I get. <laughs> that's enough, Jack. Yeah. Um, so, as well as working with our, our corporate team on these schemes, sometimes we're working with accountants as well to to, to get these right. Um, but I guess where we come in is is assisting to to bring these share schemes into employment agreements and and policies. Um, the other thing I guess you've got to um, turn your mind to is is consulting with your staff about them. So mm. often employee share schemes are optional. Employees don't have to opt in them into them. But if you're if you're bringing one into to play in, an, in order to retain staff and, and um, attract staff, why not have a chat to your staff about what would be of interest to them before you, um, I guess, try and create something and spend money creating it? So there, there can be some downsides there. They do create some work, but um, once our clients have done that work, um, they, they only talk about the benefits of them. So it's definitely something to consider. Yeah, certainly, and as we've seen, there's different a lot of different ways to implement it. So it makes sense to to implement it in a way that's actually going to um, align with what employees want. Otherwise, to a degree, what's the point? Hundred percent. 
Look, the next, um, the next policy that I want to discuss is slightly more uh, taboo, but by no means uh, does that mean we shouldn't be talking about it, uh, and that's uh, menopause policies. So um, uh, a special counsel on our team, uh, Gwen Druitt, recently penned an article uh, on, on this topic exactly and uh, discuss the concerning number of employers that actually fail to recognise how menopause can affect uh, an employee's ability to perform their job. And uh, in, in Gwen's article, she aptly recognised that this is around something, this is something around 50% of employees are, are going to face at some point in their lives. Um, and so because of that, you know, it's actually high time employers formally recognise the effects of menopause uh, on an employee's ability to do their job. So Fee, I guess from a practical sense, what are um, the potential repercussions um, in the workplace of a lack of adequate support for those, um, those going through menopause? Yeah, and look, I'll, I'll, I'll have to be honest here. I, um, it wasn't really until I read Gwen's article mm. that I actually got a, a true understanding of, of this issue. And I guess from Gwen's article, I then started to look at other things on, uh, online. And I f perhaps felt a little bit embarrassed and naive right. um, about actually how much of a workplace issue that this is. But Certainly. from... From reading Gwen's article, from the other reading I've I've done, um, I guess the, the the issues that an employer might try and remedy with such a, pol a policy are things around perhaps low morale. Um, mm. Woman going through menopause might have reduced performance or productivity or absenteeism. Mm. Um, it might create poor working relationships or, or conflicts with, with others. Um, yeah, and, I, and I think the worst possible outcome is that um, a woman goes, actually, it's too hard working through this as well as working, so I'm, I'm mm. going to leave. Um, mm. So I, I guess that the flow-on effects of menopause in the workplace are, are perhaps a, a lot bigger than, than many of us thought. Yeah, certainly. And I know that's a discussion I'd had with Gwen that um, when she was, you know, drafting this article and, and, and doing her own research on this topic, that actually she found that there's no government resources provided by the New Zealand government on, on how menopause affects um, and employees as well. So, so you're so right. It's, it's, um, it's, a, it's a new area to be talked about, but um, rightly so. So in terms of, uh, you know, those are obviously the effects of uh, a lack of the effects that a lack of support can have on employees. If a policy were to be put in place um, that, that provided for support for menopause, what do you think that support would look like, Fee? Yeah, and look, I guess as we start to see um, these policies come into workplaces, they're taking mm. lots of different shapes and forms, but I guess Certainly. Some, some of the things that these policies are touching on are what support can be provided to employees. Yes. Um, talk about flexible working arrangements, mm. um, a, a special form of leave um, if someone is needing some time out of the office, so not necessarily dipping into their sick leave or annual leave, um, mm. a, a special allotment of leave. Um, yep. But there's also some really practical things around if it's a workplace which requires uniforms, uh, can some better fitted or more relaxed uniforms be appropriate, uh, rest, rest areas for those who need it. Um, mm. Things like temperature control in the workplaces mm. as well. So, 
Yes, there are some really kind of high-level things such as flexible working and leave, etc. But there are also some quite low-level things that that a workplace could look to implement as well. Yeah, certainly, that's really helpful. Uh, so, in terms of that rationale for uh, a policy like a menopause, a menopause policy, uh, rather, do you think there's also scope for policies that deal with things like uh, menstruation? Yeah. So, once again, I think this is this is something that employers have been quite slow to provide support around and I think um, I think women who are having issues traditionally are required to take their their sick leave or annual leave Mm. Um, so look once again I guess there there is scope um, for for a special policy Mm. Um, but we're actually probably seeing work around that even less so than the menopause policy. So um, I think that's probably another thing for for employers to do lists. Yeah, definitely. No, that makes a lot of sense. So uh, in light of this discussion about, uh, uh, I guess, providing employees with additional leave, like you've talked about in circumstances, uh, you know, perhaps providing for additional leave in circumstances like uh, employees suffering from the effects of menopause or um, the effects of menstruation, it got me thinking about a third type of, uh, of policy, which is these um, additional leave policies more, more broadly. And historically under New Zealand law, I guess employees have had very definitive set types of leave and, and we all know what they are and we all like to know how many we've got of each left. But we're seeing a real rise of employers, uh, you know, introducing some more progressive leave allocations to do with some, some things that go beyond an employee's statutory entitlement. Uh, one I saw recently was an Australian real estate company fee which had introduced grandparent leave. So an employee who had just become a grandparent uh, could take some time off to spend um, with, with their grandchild and, and to be a part of kind of su- supporting that time around their birth. Um, now for context fee I have um, around 30 cousins. Uh, so as soon as I, as, as soon as I kind of uh, heard about this policy, I immediately thought that my grandparents really could have milked that if that was back in the day. Uh, and, and perhaps fortunately for their employer, uh, I don't think my grandma had that policy at uh, the company she, <laughs> she worked for. But, um, you know, it got me thinking about the conversation, you know, what other progressive policies have you, have you seen that have, have worked or haven't worked or otherwise? Oh, look, I think we should just stop at grandparent leave. That's just like the nicest thing I've ever I've ever heard. Um, it's a heartwarming one, isn't it? Oh, it's a really lovely one. Um, yeah. But look, you're completely right, Jack. We, we've we've seen a, a, a I guess a, a real range from our clients um, over the years. I guess one that always sticks out to me is um, the warehouse has always spoken about their their birthday leave. So you, mm. at, if you work at the the warehouse, you get your your um, birthday off paid, um, which I, which I've always loved. And I I yeah, wonder, Jack, yeah, if yeah. I go rogue on this podcast and announce that Lane Neves <laughs> going to do that, or do you think I'll have a few grumpy partners on my hands? Oh, they'll just have to commit fee. I don't see anything else happening. <laughs> <laughs> um, but look, jokes aside, we see lots of different. Um, types of leave. Um, quite a few companies have implemented um, a certain amount of days of mental health leave. Right. And that is essentially, you can just call in and you don't have to say what's wrong. You can just mm. say, hey, I'm I'm not coming to work today. Um, and I guess that's a reflection of the fact um, that 
even even people with really good mental health and have a good support system around them, sometimes we all have days where we don't want to be at work. So yeah, we're, we're, we're seeing an increase of that. Um, I think there's been the more traditional ones around things like marriage leave, but I would suggest that's a little bit archaic now. Um, yeah. Some other cooler ones... Um, like I've seen is around volunteering leave so yep. people can take some time off work to, to volunteer at a, a charity of of, um, um, of their choosing. Um, mm. The other one, Jack, well, I know when we were preparing for this and talking, you you called it uh, paternity leave. Um, <laughs> I just thought which, the name in itself was so good. So it, it is good, I'll give you that. So that's, I guess, leave when you've got a new pet join your family or the other end of the spectrum. Um, mm. If you've had um, a pet pass away, you might want to take a period of leave. Um, yeah. So, look, there, there's a whole range, um, but I guess you've just got to consider, I guess, practically, A, what your company can afford, and B, the types of leave where you think you're, you're going to get the most traction from, from, your, yeah. from your team, from your staff. Yeah, certainly. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense because um, it's all very well having uh, leave that provides for certain things, but if your employees don't want that or that doesn't apply to them, then I guess um, how useful is it? And I mm. guess that segues well into um, my next question, what would be, which would be in light of companies um, coming up with a lot of different types of more creative leave, if you will, is there risk of employees feeling or claiming um, disparity of treatment in terms of uh, like you talked about marriage leave, oh, well, mm. I'm, 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 uh, I don't, I don't have a fiance, or, or I, I can't, I can't mm. afford a wedding, but this person can, so they get an extra day off. You know, there's definitely a bit of, um, you could, easy to see how there could be tension there. Yeah, look, a hundred percent, and sometimes you can have the best intentions with something, um, mm. and there can be kind of negative flow-on effects. Right. One, one option is, I guess, to um, you can provide people with a pool of extra leave. So it might be an extra right. five days. Um, and you can say to people, um, you can use that for something that's important to you. So you might mm. have a wedding coming up. You might be having a puppy joining your family. Mm. Uh, you might want to um, volunteer at, at Starship Hospital for a week. Mm. We want to give you five days to do something that's special for you and important for you. Um, so that... That could be, I guess, a way to, to get around around that issue. Um, yeah, certainly. I guess you've got to accept that people will, a lot of people will just add it to their to their annual leave pool and will take mm. longer holidays, but that's mm. not necessarily a bad thing either. No, yeah, fair enough. If that's what they need, then that might, you know, that might be what they need. Absolutely. Yeah. No, wonderful. That that's really helpful. So. Um, I guess the last policy that I want to discuss, and this one's very topical uh, in, in, in light of, um, as we talked about at the start, about coming out of these COVID-related uh, restrictions, uh, is, is flexible working policies. And um, employers have naturally been encouraging staff to return to the workplace uh, in light of easing restrictions. But would it be fair to say there's an appetite from some employees to continue working from home? Yeah, and I guess just a bit of a bit of a heads up. Um, Alex Beale and I um, are going to be recording a podcast at another stage um, that talks a little bit more, I guess, in depth around working from home. But 
this is yeah. a really, I think this is a really good time to talk about <clears throat> flexible working policies. And, and I mm. guess to come back to your to your question, Jack, um, you're completely right. These conversations are starting to happen at the moment as mm. we, I guess, the restrictions in red are starting to be loosened and in time we'll move to, to orange, which mm. is going to result in... in um, more people returning to the workplace. Um, and this is where these conversations around working from home or some type of hybrid arrangement are, are coming about. Yeah, certainly. No, that makes lots of sense. Very topical. So in light of that, what does, uh, what does a good flexible working policy look like? Yeah, and I think um, essentially fl flexible working policies can look the way that you want them to to look. So mm. I guess the starting point is um, people can, under the legislation, make a request to work flexibly. And once again, Alex and I will talk about that in a, in a little bit more detail in another podcast. Certainly. But um, flexibility, I think there's this misconception that flexible working is part-time. Um, that's not necessarily the, the case. Flexible working is around where people work, it's around when they work, um, it's around if they can split their day, they might work for a few hours in the morning, do some jobs, middle of the day, and then work later on that night. So mm. I, I, I guess the, the big takeaway is this can look the way you want. Um, Certainly. We've seen some pretty extreme examples. We've seen um, Perpetual Guardian move to a four-day mm. week, which... Um, I think when they first announced it, we all thought it was pretty wild and extreme, but yeah, the term yeah. four-day week, we, we, we throw it around now. It, it, yeah. it, it, it's becoming um, more and more common. So yeah, we're seeing four-day weeks, but we're also, I guess, the lower end of the spectrum, we're seeing people who traditionally have worked in an office five days a week are now working from home a couple of days a week and in the office three days a week. So I guess when you are drafting your policy, just be really really open to what all the options could be in people's individual circumstances. Yeah, certainly. So obviously there's a number of benefits as, as we've just discussed to, to employees and that flows into kind of um, attracting good employees and, and retaining them. But what are some things to be wary of um, when putting in, in place um, flexible, allowing for flexible working arrangements? Yeah, look, I think there's, there's a couple of big ones for me. I think the mm. first is... You, want it, you don't want it to be so flexible that people are no longer connected to their workplace and their colleagues. Um, so I know one employer I work with, they have a policy of, um, yep, work from home, work from the office, we don't care, um, but you need to be in the office X amount of times a month just to, just to remain, um, keep that, that um, connection happening. Yeah. Um, so that's probably the, the biggest thing. And, I, and the second one I'd probably note as well is I think a misconception in this area is, well, if employees are working from home, I'm, I'm not responsible for their health and safety. That, that's not the case at all. Um, yeah. You are just as responsible for someone, whether they are working in the office, uh, um, out in the field meeting with a client, uh, or they're working from home. So your health and safety obligations remain the same. Yeah, certainly. No, that's really helpful. So in terms of making sure a policy is implemented properly, are there some practical steps that you can think of to make sure that it's, it's done well and, can, and considered properly so it will have the best effect? Yeah, and I think, Jack, 
probably probably my comments here can be applied to all the policies that we've we've talked about today. So right. I think I think you want to consult with your staff about what's going to be in the policy. Mm, um, I think you want to have a have a regular review date in that policy um, mm. because a policy I guess that you create today might be completely irrelevant or completely redundant in your business in three years' time. Um, yeah, certainly. But the other thing that I guess I want to leave on is, is if you're not sure that a, a new policy is going to work for you as the employer um, or, or your employees, don't be afraid to imp to implement something and, and trial it for six months. Yeah, um, great. See how it works for everyone, and, and then look to relook at the policy at, at at that stage. So, don't think that you um, that when you implement a policy, you're stuck with it um, with it for life. That's not the case at all. Yeah, definitely. No, that's really helpful. Well, thank you for your time, Fair. It's quite clear from from what we've discussed today that um, the diverse kind of needs and and um, the values of the employees that make up our workforce. Um, in light of that, there's certainly no shortage of, of different types of workplace policies uh, that can be that can be put in place to to you know attract and retain good staff. And as as you've discussed, well, not all policies are going to work for every every workplace. It's about um, as you said, consulting and and figuring out what what employees want and you know what they actually need to retain talent in, in that respective industry for that employer. And finally, from what kind of, I guess we've discussed, it's clear that businesses can't kind of um, curb, you know, the defection of talent with, with money alone, but it actually needs to be, um, it needs to be thoughtful and there's a lot of practical things that don't necessarily cost money that might um, equally um, result in a really um, kind of uh, positive and welcoming workplace uh, for, those, for those employees. So look, we provide uh, lots of advice here at Lane Neve um, to employers and draft a number of policies uh, for employers that um, are, are progressive and help them, you know, retain and um, yeah, attract really good talent. And look, we'd be happy to do the same for you. Uh, so look, myself and uh, Fiona's contact details can be found below. But yeah, as I said, um, Fee, thank you uh, for your time and uh, thank you for tuning in. Thank you.